This is Thurman Hayes, pastor of First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. We want to welcome you to this message from our services at First Baptist. We're a congregation that is seeking to touch lives through the life-changing power of the gospel. I pray that you'll encounter Christ in His power and love even now as you listen. Grab a seat. We depend upon the Lord in all that we say and do. If you've got a Bible this morning, you can open up with me to the fifth chapter of Matthew. I'm going to be looking at a couple of excerpts here from Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Um, something that's been stirring in my heart. You see here uh, on the screen, the, the title of today's message is Beyond the Surface. Back, it's been about three or four months ago with the students, student ministry, we went through a series entitled Overcoming Sin and Temptation. And as we talked about sin, we spent a couple weeks looking at how often below the surface we allow things to fester and above the surface we carry on with life as if nothing's wrong. And so what we're going to do this morning as we spend time in God's Word is we're going to look beyond the surface at two, um, I guess they could be described as very passionate struggles that many of us have. Um, One of them is going to be in regards to anger, bitterness, um, and the other one will be in regards to lust. And so I pray this morning as we study God's word, that he would give us an open heart, an open mind, um, and that if there are any bondages in the room this morning, which in a room this size there are, that we will walk out of here today different. That we would not continue in pathways that are holding us back, that are affecting our worship, that are affecting our relationships, and that we'd be able to walk in victory because there is victory to be had in Jesus. We can celebrate that this morning, right? So let's go ahead and read God's word. Matthew 5, 21 says, you've heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder. And whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you're offering your gift to the altar and there, remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you're going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. Verse 27, you've heard that it was said you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out, throw it away. For it's better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it's better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go in to hell. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for this morning. Thank you, Lord, that we get your word. Lord, your scriptures are truth. And Father, so many of us in the room this morning, uh, we, we all fall so short. 
And there's so many of us in the room this morning that even in this, as I speak, even as we walked in the room today, are living in ways that are affecting our walk with you. Lord, thank you for the good news that you are merciful and patient. But Lord, convict us and give us a healthy fear of of your judgment and your justice. Lord, that would bring us to our knees before your throne, just crying out, just help. And Lord, for those that need to, and that's all of us, but some that maybe have been living otherwise this morning, bring them to their knees and help them to cry out for help. We pray these things in your name, amen. You know, tomorrow uh, we are getting ready to head out with our student ministry to camp. Um, We have a group of 51 students and eight adults that are going to be heading down to Greenville, uh, South Carolina. We'll be at North Greenville University. Uh, But with camp comes many things. Also, many smells, if you get me, get what I'm talking about. Uh, I was talking with some some of the guys this morning. I wasn't planning to share this as an illustration. I was planning something else, but I was like, this is too good to pass up. Um... Yeah, this will be like my 13th or 14th student camp. But we always have a problem every year with getting kids to shower. If you've ever been to a kids or a teenager camp, you realize that there's some kids, they literally refuse to shower. It happened at kids camp a few weeks ago and it will happen again this week. And there's some kids in the sound of my voice in this room that will try to avoid the shower and we will hunt you down. We will make you get in the shower, right? Um, But here's the worst part of it over the years. So you have some that they don't want to take a shower. And then somebody over the years had this brilliant idea to make body spray, axe. You know what I'm talking about? I think that stuff's obnoxious. So what some kids will do, and I've experienced it multiple times, is they refuse to bathe but they bathe themselves in body spray, right? Axe, like I can't tell you how many rooms I've gone into where I step in the room and it just slaps you in the face. You're like, how are you not high on this stuff yet? Because it is just, the whole room is filled with it. I'm surprised you're not passed out on the floor. Uh, can't stand the stuff. But here's the thing, it's, it's covering their mind. They're saying it, it's making me smell good, but are they clean? They're not clean. They may smell a little bit better on the outside with that perfume that they're spraying on them, but inside they're still dirty. Inside they still need to take a shower. Um, I want to ask you this morning, what is it in the room today that we may be hiding and harboring? We step in here today, we all know how to put on a good face, we know how to play the church game. We know how to go about outer adherence. We know what's kosher and what's not. But what is it in our life that we may be hiding beneath the surface that you and I would be very, very, very ashamed if it were brought into the light? We make incredible efforts to try to make sure we keep it at bay. It kind of lingers beneath the the surface for, for many of us. And here's what it ends up leading towards. It can lead into prideful ploys. Some of us are such insecure men and women that we push all those things down and it shows itself through pride. We we make ourselves to be bigger than we actually are, to be experts in what we're not experts 
within. Maybe it's prideful ploys or maybe it's bitter divides. There's something that we harbor in our heart. We're going to talk a lot about that this morning. Harbor in our heart towards another that's clearly affecting our relationship with said person, but then is also, as we'll see, affecting our relationship with God. Or maybe, maybe it's lustful longings, places that your mind and your eyes are going that simply are shameful. They don't honor God, right? They're tearing apart at the seams within us, yet we allow them to marinate. They, the more they marinate, the more dark darken the divide becomes in our life on the outside. And what does that lead to? It leads to situations of despondency. We don't know how to interact with other people. We get to a point where we, you hear people say this a lot today, I don't even feel anymore. I don't know what, I, I, don't, I feel like I don't feel anything. A sense of despondency as we allow these hidden things to kind of just well up within us or, or perhaps it leads us into isolation. We say, well, I, I don't wanna confront what I have going on in, so I'd rather just go into my own little bubble, go into my own little circle, so that no one will bother me. Or maybe it's not isolation, maybe it's passivity. We fail to take responsibilities that God has given us in order to hold up our ends of relationships we have, maybe that be within the home, maybe that be within a marriage, a, in a parenting situation, in a workplace, school, whatever it may be. Or maybe it's leading us to a place of resentment. We resent life, we resent people, and it's tearing us apart, but yet some, for some reason we're coddling it in the flesh and we're hiding it beside or behind outward conformity, but behind the outward conformities in a rebellion, right? Now, the, the text that we're looking at this morning, Jesus is confronting that. You look at these, the pharisaical crowd, they had come up under this rabbinical teaching where, you know, they knew the outward conformity. They knew things that were, you, you were to do and things you were not to do, but there were some matters of the heart that they were missing. Now, I've already said the two areas we're gonna really lock in on this morning, I think he, he shares these here in the order that he does with a, with a purpose. They're areas that really become deeply entrenched in us, anger and lust. They're, they're sins of, of passion or hatred Right, that we can allow to cavern within us and can cause deep, deep divides and, and really begin to destroy things upon the outside. What I hope that we'll realize is what he helps them to realize is that outward conformity cannot mask inward rebellion. You see up here, outer adherence is not the hall pass for inner corruption. Some of us, like I said, we're good at playing the game. We can step in this room this morning we can give the, the how you doings and we can nod the heads, but in our heart, it very well may be there's someone in this room this morning you're at odds with. And you can just go on status quo as if there's nothing wrong. That's not okay. You think of that from the anger perspective. You think about it from the lust perspective. Some of us can step in this room this morning. We can sing songs. We can sit in a Sunday school class, 
But last night, you're in a room by yourself looking at things on a computer screen you shouldn't be looking at, right? And we can carry on like it's nothing wrong. And here's what, I wanna pause for a second. I'm, we're talking about shameful things. I don't want people to walk out of here today feeling beat up. I want you just to know there's something so much better, okay? Right? We're sinners, we fall short, but I want us to not hide it or coddle it. Let's just bring it into the light and, and claim victory. Looking across the room today, there is so many people who could step up here in the pulpit and they could share stories. Man, this is where I was, but man, by God's grace, he got me out of it. I was an angry person and God spared me from it. I was someone that was chasing after lustful living and God spared me from it and it's, I can give him all praise, right? That's the goal. So we see here, God is not calling for our good appearances. What does he want? He wants our whole heart. And we'll see it in the two ways. First, confronting the bitter bondages and then the second one that we'll see there is confronting the lustful longings. Let's go ahead and start this morning with the first one. And before I read that first one, I just want to read a verse that I think would kind of help set the precedent for us. This is from Matthew 23, 25, and 26. Jesus talking to to the Pharisees again and the scribes. He says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate that the outside also may be clean. As we continue this morning, may that happen. May we walk out of here today and the the inside, may it's not just be, let me try to clean the outside of my cup. I've really been praying that there'd be many people in the room today would walk out and say, man, I I gotta get that inside right and thank God for Jesus because he gives me the pathway to be able to do that. So here's the the first one is, is confronting bitter bondages. If you, if you look in verse 21, as Jesus approached him, he, he says, you've heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. So from the teachings that these men that he's talking to had grown up under, you would understand that they, you know, murder's wrong. They would know that. Just like you and I today, there's something within our mind that would tell us, I I should not murder someone. Why? Because we understand if I murder someone, there's going to be a pretty big consequence to that. Once I get caught, I'm probably going, no, not probably, I'm going to jail. And then there's going to be an even worse consequence after that. I'll probably be there for a really long time. In their mind, they would hear him say these words about murder and they would think to Exodus 20, 13, within the Ten Commandments, where it's made very clear, thou shalt not murder. And then that would have been commonly received, but then they would think about, well, what is the result of murder? The result of premeditated murder was death, which you would find noted in Numbers 35, 31. The murderer would be liable before the court of law. So what he says to start, they're like, yes, I agree with you, murder's wrong. But then as he continues, he says, but I say to you. So he took something that was outside of the cup, and they're like, oh yeah, well, I'm not a murderer. <laughs> Many of us in here today would be able to say, hey, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not a murderer, so I must be a pretty good person. In our minds, we look at, well, I've not done this outward act, so I'm better than this person that did this outward act. That's just not how it works, because as we're gonna see here in a moment, Matthew 15, 19 makes very clear the murderous physical act comes from the murderous intent of the heart. 
These things don't just spawn up out of nowhere. No, it starts within the heart, which is why he's taking them to the heart. He says, I say to you, everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. So if you're angry, then he goes in, he says, whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And then finally, he says, whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. So he's confronting anger and insults and belittling words that would spew out of man's mouth. And he's saying that these things are on par with the physical act of murder. Now, this would have been a riveting statement. They would have gone be like, yeah, I agree with you to like, oh, wait a second. I've just said something to my brother here that was rude, or I've been harboring bitterness towards them. And they would have been all, including all of us in this room this morning, exposed under this word. You know, you couldn't define yourself as righteous on the matter simply because you didn't physically murder. This was only a partial understanding. Jesus was going to the heart. But then he, he takes it a little bit further here. So he goes in, in verse 23. He says, so if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. So he's talking about how it's affecting your, what I'll refer to here as kind of your, your uh, horizontal relationships. But now he's saying, if you're gonna be angry, bitter, spiteful towards another person, you can't just stroll into my house and act like everything is okay. What does he say? And it's interesting here because as he says that in verse 23, it says, remember that your brother has something against you. So he goes from you being angry and now he's even saying, even if you can think of somebody that has something against you, go take it, your gift, lay it before the altar, go be made right with that person. So what is that telling us? If we allow anger, bitterness, spitefulness to stir within our hearts, or even if we know there's somebody else that is anger and bitter and spiteful towards us and we just kind of lay it out there in the ground and just like, well, I'm just gonna, you know, it's gonna be, it's gonna be like, you know, some of y'all may take the trash out and you know, in some of our houses, we let the trash keep piling up, piling up, piling up. Then it's piling over, right? That's what's gonna happen. He's saying, don't step in here with that. Put it down go and be made right with your brother. You're seeing the necessity for expediency because as he says here in 25 and 26, do this quickly with your accuser while you're going with him to court lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. To make this extremely simple, basically he's saying if you let this stuff harbor in you, you don't deal with it, the bitterness, the backbiting, the crude words, the harshness, you will not get out of jail. Because he says, until you've paid every last penny, you and I can't pay our way out of our sin. He's trying to make that point. You will not get out. He's already said, you will be liable to judgment. And he's gone as far as to say, because what was the judgment that was deserved for the murderer? Death. He's saying, 
you will be the same way if you don't deal with this, if you don't repent of this, if you don't seek reconciliation, if you don't recognize it, you see here in our notes, recognize it and then seek to reconcile. You know, I think about Jeremiah 7, 9. It says, will you still murder, commit adultery, swear falsely, make offerings to Baal and go after other gods that you have not known? And then come stand before me in this house which is called by my name and say, we are delivered only to go on doing all these abominations. God doesn't want our empty outward motions because they are only phony coverings of a distant heart. He wants all of our heart. And so thinking through this first, because the reality is there are many people in this room, all of us have at some point in time, many of us maybe currently, have anger in our heart this morning. You say, well, I'm not that angry. Well, we can think of people in our life where we're like, man, I've not talked to that person in a long time and it's been very intentional. They've done me wrong. Well, I don't want to talk to them because it would probably be awkward. There might be somebody you're in the room right now that that would be the case with. You would look across the pew and you'd be like, I don't talk to that person because I've had a problem with them. Um, do you realize it's eating away at your joy? Do you realize if left unhindered, it can make shipwreck of your faith? Do you realize as well that it affects the unity of our church? That's not okay. You think here, fracture within our horizontal relationships brings about fracture in our vertical relationships. This is simple. You and I cannot walk close with God while we harbor division in our heart. It cannot happen. It, it does not happen. And, and here's the other thing is, silence and passivity amidst relational fractures deepens divide and deeply hinders proper worship. Our culture is really bad about this. We're really good at hiding behind silence, especially in this day and age with cell phones where we can text people and we don't have to deal with them face to face or we don't have to call them on the phone. Um, it's, it's really easy to have problems with people and go and talk about them behind their back, never deal with them directly. We'll talk about that here in a second. It's, it's easy to approach relational issues passively, but passivity only deepens the divide. So, so let's talk about this. How do I confront it? How do I, how do I get through anger and bitterness? Because we can come to terms. There are many of us in here. You're like, you're right. I, I, I can think of that person right now that I'm just been frustrated with, or we've just been at odds with for a long time, and I can't seem to get over the hump. Maybe you've suppressed it to the point and now God's like, it's affecting your worship. It's affecting your joy. So here, here's four things. Here's the, the first one. Seek reconciliation quickly. Don't let it linger. Jesus has already said as much in what we just read. Now, as it, and I wanna make this clear. As it depends upon you, live at peace with all people. That's based out of Romans 12, 18, which says, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. So when I say seek reconciliation quickly, we gotta do all that we can to seek to go make matters right with that person. 
Does that mean that all of your problems and all your bitter feelings are just gonna poof, vanish? No, I wish I could say that that's the case. It just doesn't work that way. But we gotta take steps of surrender to say, I wanna go, I'm gonna do all that I can to try to make matters right. I'm not just gonna sit back passively and wait because here's the easy thing to do. We can sit back and wait on things to get better, but guess what happens most times? Either the person you're upset with has no clue you're upset with them. That happens a whole lot. That's the worst, right? <laughs> They're just going about their life and living rent-free in your head. They don't even know. And the funny thing is, is if we deal with it directly, guess what happens most times? You sort it out. You come to terms. But in some cases, we may take the steps necessary to seek reconciliation, and guess what? It may not be reciprocated. You may, do all, you can, you may say, you know what, Wilson, I've done all that I can. I've sought to, to lay myself down for this person. I've, I've sought to share of my own flaws and try to find a way to work through it. At that point, you're, you're doing, you've done what you can to make things right, but don't let them live rent-free. Don't let them still hold you in bondage up here and just, because the more it sits here, the more bitterness comes, the more frustrated. And you're, you almost have a vendetta. You're like, man, I really hope that person gets it. You know, I hope that God really strikes them down. We, we gotta avoid that. We can't make someone be right with us, but we can take the steps necessary to try to bring about reconciliation quickly. Second one, be careful with words. When run through the filter of anger, our words only hurt. Now, I think about James 3, 5, and 6. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. Whoa, <laughs> The tongue is a loose cannon when it's run through a fleshly filter. It's a loose cannon. And all of us can vouch for it because we can probably think of times, maybe even this morning where we were like, man, I should not have said that. That did not come out the right way towards my child, towards my spouse, towards my friend, towards that person driving down the road that cut me off, right? That, that vitriol, that anger, we gotta be careful with our words. And think about it, share words with, with people that are gonna be uplifting. And that kind of leads to the next one, number three, approach people directly and gracefully. Ephesians 4, 29, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. Don't slander, don't mock, don't backbite, don't be crude, don't be harsh, don't be overly sarcastic. These are, these are things that get in the way of healthy relationships, right? We can't participate in talk that tears other people apart. That's not of the Lord. And I know in rooms like this, it happens. I've heard it, I've spoke it, <laughs> right? It's not okay. It tears people down. It does not bring about unity. Now, you see up here, deal with it directly. 
There's going to come times where you're going to have a problem with a person. Where do you go with that? To the person. Don't go to the other persons that have nothing to do with that person and complain. Where do you go? In love, take it to that person and figure out how to work it out. Like I said, most of the times, not every time, but many times you can begin at least taking steps to work it out. It can happen, right? So you see here, approach direct, directly, gracefully. Don't hide behind walls. Last one, reject victimhood and blame shifting. Live as victors in Christ. Second Corinthians 12, nine and 10 says, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then I'm content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I'm weak, then I am strong. Paul, if anybody, could have easily been a victim. He could have played the victim card. He could have pulled it out and it would have probably been well earned. He could have easily passed blame onto other people. We can't do that. Why? Because if you are in Christ this morning, you are a victor, not a victim. You are a victor. You have victory in Jesus, right? And so it's, it's getting to this point in our culture now where victimhood and blame shifting is the easy thing to do. Well, it's always somebody else's fault. Well, I'm always the victim. No, no one understands me. No, we can find victory in Christ. If you're in Christ this morning, victory is to be had. If you don't know him, come to know him and find that victory. At the end of the day here, you look at Hebrews 12, 15 and 16. Strive for peace with everyone, for holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. Do not play games with anger and bitterness. Do not harbor it towards other people. It will destroy. It will destroy your relationships with others. It will destroy your relationship with the Lord, and it will cause great fractures in the body of Christ in the local church. Have that conversation. Seek to make things right. Trust the Lord with it. Here's the, the second one we want to talk about. So we see anger, Bitterness, we know that that's a struggle for many of us. But then you see another struggle of, of great passion here, and, and that's confronting lustful longings. He continues in 27, he says, you've heard that it was said you shall not commit adultery. So yet again, based on their training, they would be like, of course. I understand that. They would think to Exodus 2014, thou shalt not commit adultery. But yet again, the thought, the thought of the matter would be what would rattle them. But I say to you, verse 28, that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery in his heart. Where does he say it started? It starts in the heart. It's not something that, yet again, can be passed off onto something else, or you can't say, well, I've, I've not been with somebody else. I, well, what about your heart? What about your mind? What about your eyes? What about your ears? Where are they settling, right? The act of lust begins in the heart. By the time the look has been locked in upon, the element of sin has already been activated. 
the heart having taken what it was presented with and furthering that presentation into a lustful fantasy that is gawked over. Now here's the thing. We can't always avoid what is put before our eyes, but we can control what our heart does with it. In our culture today, we already understand the fact that we're living in a over-sexualized culture. You don't have to go looking for it, guess what? It will find you through a TV advertisement, through someone walking down the street, right? It will find you, so what does that say? When I encounter it, I wanna be ready to handle it with maturity. I wanna be able to handle it in a way where I don't gawk over it, but I say, man, I found something better. I have something better. What is our heart going to do with it? Now, he continues on here, and he shows the, the seriousness of this. In verse 29, he says, if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it's better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off, throw it away. For it's better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. Now, clearly here, this is an, a usage of extreme metaphor. But it's driving home the point that Jesus is making. He's not just saying, well, just don't try to think about it. Oh, just be, be careful. No, he's saying, don't leave any space for the lust of the flesh to reside within your life. Now, to the Jew, the, the right side, the right arm, the, the right eye, the right leg were considered to be what the best that a man had to offer. Now, I think this is, is kind of interesting to ponder because clearly you think about eyes and, and hands, clearly there is some association there with you know, these elements of sexual sin, but you think about the right side being the best that is had to offer. He's basically saying, be willing to let go of things that would be seemingly prominent and necessary in your life to avoid going down this pathway. Let go of it. Cut it out of your life. Don't allow it to linger. It's not just a physical solvent. He's saying we must be willing to part ways with even that which we feel as though were of special interest and worth to us if it means steering clear of that which is ultimately, if left unchecked, would lead to hell. I want us to stop for a second here. The same thing with anger. It's the same thing with lust here. If you let it rule your life, it will lead one place, hell, separation from God. If you're claiming faith in Christ and we're going down these pathways, it will make shipwreck, you very well may make shipwreck of your faith. It's not okay. It's not okay to go down these pathways, right? Now, you think here, as we, we look at what, what he said, I think it presents some unique opportunities for us to ponder. Here's, here's the first one is to understand our eyes were never meant to objectify each other's bodies for the purpose of pleasure. Now, I want to make this statement as well. Many people make this out to be a, a men thing. This is a men and a women thing, okay? It's, it's really dangerous because we've made it such a men thing that if there are women that struggle with this, they feel as though that they're weird to struggle with it, and then that makes them go further into darkness because they say, well... I don't want to be somebody to know this about me because women aren't, but no, this is just, sin is just a, it's a human issue. 
And it's no different here. This is a men and a women struggle. And you look here, we're not meant to objectify each other. We're not meant to sit and look at a screen or look at someone going down the road and, and, and gawk over them and, and view them in a way that's, that's just not honoring to them and ultimately not honoring to God. But here's the thing. God did create men and women with sexual desire that's only to be expressed through the confines of what? Marriage. Between a man and between a woman. And listen to this. Any attempt slash expression towards sexual, sexual gratification outside the confines of marriage is adulterous and dishonoring to God. Whether that be watching something on a screen, doing something that would be unfaithful to your spouse, whether that be shacking up with somebody that you are not married to, it's not God's way. And it's not, our culture says, well, that's just robbing the fun of things. No, the culture doesn't get the beauty behind the thing. The beauty behind it is found when it's done God's way. And what he's saying is flee the stuff that's not God's way. In a world where lustful opportunity is at our fingertips, we must flee the shadows and abide in Christ. Here's four keys to confronting lust. Here's the first one, delight within the Lord. You're struggling with lust this morning. Uh, lust represent, represents a satisfaction problem. Perhaps you're struggling with insecurity. Perhaps you're struggling with loneliness. And instead of turning to the Lord, where are you turning? You're perhaps turning to a screen. It's a, satis, it's a satisfaction problem. I think of Psalm 63, 5 and 8. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food, and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips when I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night, for you've been my help, and in the shadow of your wings I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you, your right hand upholds me. Delight within the Lord. If we are satisfied in the Lord, we would look at that stuff and we would say, no, I don't want it. Many of us struggle to delight within the Lord because our minds are going many different places and therefore where do we begin gravitating towards these things that don't honor him? Here's the second thing. Reject isolation and be accountable. Lust feeds off of secrecy. Proverbs 7, 18 through 20 this is the adulterous woman. It shows this element of temptation that's going about. Somebody being drawn away and this is what the the devil is doing. He says, come, let us take our fill of love till morning. Let us delight ourselves with love. For my husband's not at home. He's gone on a long journey. He took a bag of money with him. At full moon, he will come home. He's trying to pull away and say, well, there's no, you know, no one will know. It's not going to hurt anybody. Just you're by yourself. No one's going to ever see this. That's a lie. Reject that element of isolation. Be accountable. Find people in your life that will hold you accountable. Check in on you. How are you doing? Whether it be with lust or with anger or whatever it may be, just somebody that's going to challenge you in your walk with the Lord. We reject that. We're really getting into some troublesome places. Third thing, know your weaknesses and flee. Do not welcome infestations. Hebrews 12, 1 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Are we willing to cut ties with something that we know is causing our faith walk to be debilitated? 
cell phones, TV shows, things, are we willing to say, you know what? This is the thing that I need to gouge out. This is the thing that I need to cut off. But guess what your flesh says? Well, you can't cut that out of your life. You really need it. You don't want to do, well, no. Sometimes it may be, your flesh is trying to say, hold on to this silly little device when you know that that silly little device may be leading you down a pathway to hell. Not okay, right? Be willing to cut ties with things. Know your weakness, flee from it. Don't put yourself in a situation where you're gonna fail. And then the final thing, take ownership of responsibility. This is what I really think it gets down to. This is in your marital sphere. This is in your parenting sphere. This is in your social spheres. Be a responsible person. 1 Timothy 5.8, but if anyone does not provide for his relatives and especially for the members of his household, he's denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Husbands, so speaking to us real quick, we have responsibility for our household. We cannot drop the ball. Work cannot take precedent over our marriage. Work cannot take precedent over our kids. We can't be people that are just chasing around any downtime we get. Well, I'm just going to go do a hobby. I, I, I want to go golf today. I, I know I haven't been around the family all week, but no. Hold up our end of the bargain here. Be responsible. Hold it up for, as a parent, as, as, as a husband, as a wife. Why? Because when we start rejecting those things, this is what Proverbs 24 says, 30 through 31. I passed by the field of a sluggard, by the vineyard of a man lacking sense, and behold, it was all overgrown with thorns. The ground was covered with nettles, and its stone wall was broken down. And guess what happens when the stone wall is broken down? Guess what comes in? The devil's chomping at the bit. He's ready. He's licking his chops. He's saying, I want, man, I see the, I see the inroads. When we reject responsibility, you're welcoming it. Rejected responsibility is one of the easiest pathways for lust to begin to enter into the situation because you start saying, well, here's greener pastures. No, we need to be faithful and bought in. Let your eyes look directly forward and your gaze be straight before you. Ponder the path of your feet and all your ways will be sure. Do not swerve to the right or to the left. Turn your foot away from evil. In closing, those are two, these are heavy things. I get it, anger, lust, but I just wanna be dead clear. They're things that if we allow them to go unhindered, they will destroy. And I also want you to hear this this morning. I don't want you to walk out of here to say, well, he gave me four points on this and four points on that, and I gotta check all these things off the list to make sure. No, this is simple. From the overflow of the heart comes the telling signs of the devotion and directive of the person. First Peter 2, 9 and 11 says, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Here's the reality. In the flesh we stand condemned as murderous, adulterous, envious, shameful, and dead. I don't want you to walk out of here thinking, well, man, I guess that's just where I gotta be at. No, I want you to walk out of here and know that in Christ you stand renewed as chosen, pure, redeemed, restored, and alive. Give it to Jesus. Lay it at the cross. And that goes to the second here is, well, how do I get victory? Victory is in the areas, and these areas is not found on a graded scale. Victory is in an old rugged cross in an empty tomb. Colossians 2.13, you 
who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with his legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Your victory is found in clinging to Jesus. That song we sang before the message, Abide in Him. That's my challenge for us today. And I tell the youth this, we're, we're done now. This is not just, I'm not just standing in front of us to give a presentation. God's word calls for action, right? We gotta do something with it. Your action plan today is maybe, I know that there's somebody I'm not right with and it is causing division in me and them, maybe in the church body as itself. I gotta go have a conversation this week. I can't make you do that, but I pray God's convicting you upon that because it's causing disruption. Or maybe you're in here today and you say, Wilson, I've been addicted to pornography for years and I just feel like I can never overcome it. I'm here to tell you today, you can have victory today and you can come lay it down and say, I'm, I'm done with lusting after those things. I'm not gonna lock in over those, that kind of stuff. I wanna find victory in Jesus. Please act. I, I, I urge you, I urge you today, These are not light matters, take it or leave it. No, Jesus was very clear. If you leave this unhindered, it can drive you to hell. That's pretty serious. But I also leave you with better news. If you just surrender it before the Lord, Jesus is so faithful. He is so merciful. He took the penalty that you and I deserved upon himself that you and I might have life. Let's bow our heads and let's let's pray. God, I thank you for this day. I thank you that your word is clear. God, please help us. Please help the person in the room that is struggling with bitterness or anger or frustration or talking behind people's back. And Lord, convict them of the sin and help them to see that there's joy to be found when relationships are healthy and above board. Lord, help the person in here this morning that's just drained from lustful living. They realize how empty it is, but yet they keep going back. Lord, help them to be satisfied as Psalm 63 is. Be satisfied in you as like it was rich food. Lord, break somebody's chains today. I know there's chains in here. I know there's things holding back people's worship. May they not continue on until they lay it down and go be made right. Lord, move as you may. We pray these things in your name. I hope you've been blessed by this message. Christ is the answer for every need, now and for all eternity. As someone once said, Jesus plus nothing equals everything, and everything minus Jesus equals nothing. Have you trusted in Jesus as your Savior? If not, why not now? His arms are open wide to receive you. It may help to pray a prayer like this. Father, I know that you are holy and that I have sinned and fallen short of your glory. I know that you are a righteous God who must punish sin, but I believe that your son Jesus took my punishment for me, died in my place, and rose from the dead so that I could have eternal life. Right now, I turn to Jesus and trust in his finished work for me. In his name I pray, amen. You know, the Bible says this in John 1.12, to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. 
And that means that if you've received Christ, God has adopted you as his beloved child, his very own son or daughter. Just imagine it. Almighty God, the Lord of this universe, the one who possesses all authority in heaven and earth, is now your loving father and you are his child. You say, I love him. How can I honor God with the rest of my life? Well, when you love someone, you want to spend time with them. We get to know God through his word, through prayer, and through his people. I would encourage you to pick up a copy of the Bible and begin to read it. Begin to pour out your heart to him in prayer. And find a church family where the Bible is preached, where Christ is exalted, and where his love is flowing. If you're local, I want to invite you to the church I pastor, First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia.